Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the February edition of The Compliance Life. This month I am featuring another director of trade compliance who now has her own consulting firm, Ellen Smith. I've known Ellen for quite some time. We were both in the Houston compliance community. And Ellen, once again, has a fascinating journey to and from the director's chair for trade compliance. She has a lot of experience in law firm work and other areas I think you will find fascinating on this journey in the compliance life. In this episode four, Ellen moves to the consulting world. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and they'll be right back with Valerie Charles on The Compliance Life. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for our final episode of This Month in the Compliance Life, where I've been visiting with Ellen Smith. Ellen, uh, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. This is, uh, I love going through this uh, little jot down memory lane. (laughs) So, Ellen, uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about your move to Baker Hughes, which is where I think I first met you and then your move into the consulting world. But you had some great adventures at Baker Hughes. So, how did you get over to Baker Hughes? Well, first I'll say I knew about Tom Fox when I was at Weatherford because everybody knows about Tom Fox, but uh, <laughs> I think we did meet during my Baker Hughes days. And um, yeah, I joined Baker Hughes in, in 2013 and uh, from a uh, mutual friend of ours, I think, um, I had met a gentleman by the name of Jay Martin. Uh, it, within, I guess, a couple years of moving to Houston, I was still at um, Weatherford. Jay and I met and kept in contact, and we'd have lunch every now and then or breakfast um, at the Avalon Diner, one of his favorite spots. Um, and uh, Jay started, you know, just keeping in contact and, and eventually said, hey, what, what, what do you think about coming over to Baker Hughes and, and running a team here? Um, I think the trade, the trade team at Baker Hughes um, was ready for some new vision and uh uh, it was a large team. It was I, at the time I joined, it was like 41 or 42 people. And this is the old Baker Hughes oil field services company, um, a little different than they look today. But uh, Jay, Jay asked if I'd be interested. And I, I started talking to him and um, 
uh, decided to make the move. The, the main reason I decided to make the move was I had never led a team of 40 people before. I most um, throughout my career, my team size have been anywhere from two people to, to at the most, I think seven at Weatherford. So it was scary. I didn't know if I could do it. And I felt like, well, I'll give it a shot. And if I'm really bad at it, <laughs> I think I can probably, you know, go and, and figure something out. But I, I just wanted the challenge of leading a team that size and, um, you know, sort of being in, in charge. So you really had a lot of uh, interesting experiences at Baker, but from my perspective, ex-Halliburton employee, wife still works at Halliburton, Halliburton shareholder. One of the most unique times was a period where uh, there was a merger agreement between Baker Hughes and Halliburton. Uh, there was some work uh, along that. The merger did not happen. Uh, then there was a uh, acquisition, I think this is the right term, by GE, and then a deacquisition. So it seems to me that you really uh, were working with or towards three very different uh, types of corporate entities. What was that like from the trade compliance perspective? Well, what an amazing opportunity to learn about M&A stuff. Um, and, you know, there, I don't think from a trade perspective, I saw everything there is to see in, in that um in, in that time period, I was at Baker Hughes because of all of the M&As, or what Natalia Shahada and I call MAD, um, M&A and divestiture um, sort of things that were going on. I think um, I, I joined Baker uh, to help the company rationalize the trade team. As, as I said, there were 40 people on the team. Um, and to rebuild uh, the the trade or rebrand the trade compliance program and really, like we talked about in the last podcast, make it an, an effective program. And I did that by coming in with a vision of what that needed to look like. So I did that at the start of my career. And, and what I say is, you know, throughout my, my Baker Hughes tenure, I rebuilt that program three or four times because of what you just said. Um, Tom and and it's because we we had the failed Halliburton merger. We what I say is what I like to say is we you know we got engaged to Halliburton um, with Baker Hughes. Uh, we called off the engagement and Baker Hughes got to keep the ring. So <laughs> um, there was a nice payout at the end of that. But then um, GE Oil and Gas, uh, you know GE came calling and GE um, Baker Hughes did merge with GE Oil and Gas. Uh, and that that company still exists, the merged company between Baker Hughes and GE Oil and Gas. Baker Hughes is now an energy technology company, but um, uh, they they did divorce from GE, so GE's uh, you know uh, divested itself of that that new company, and and now it's on its own. So um, you know going through that, rebuilt the program when I started at Baker Hughes uh, during the Halliburton deal. And that's, this was a long time that we were going through the, the merger talks. We were talking about what the trade program would look like and, you know, helping to set up that program and working with the team at Halliburton to get that done. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, looking at what needed to be divested uh, because the, the reason the deal did not go through was because of um, we could not get approval um, from the, uh, uh, the antitrust perspective. So we, we were talking about divesting a lot of businesses um, and setting up programs, you know, for those businesses that were going to divest. That didn't happen. 
GE came, we, we got to look under sort of the GE trade compliance hood and, and say, okay, how are we going to merge the Baker Hughes program with the GE program? And we got to take the best of the best from each of those programs and put it together into a new one. And then GE said, we don't want, you know, we're, we're going to separate. So we got to build it again and, um, you know, take, separate out what, what resources we were relying from, um, we're relying on from GE and, and rebuild it again in, in the Baker Hughes world. So uh, it was such a great time. I was there for a little over seven years um, and uh, really had a tremendous amount of different experiences. When you moved to Baker Hughes, you moved to a company that had gone through its own FCPA investigation and enforcement action. And my perception from the outside was that Jay Martin had really been a part of a t- larger team that had, but he led the effort to build a truly a culture of compliance. Uh, first of all, what was it like to uh, move to a company that had a culture of compliance uh, as opposed to when you went to Weatherford where you were building a culture of compliance? And then uh, I'm going to ask you a few words about uh, working with and for Jay Martin. So what was it like around the culture of compliance at Baker for you? I'm going to whisper this. It was a breath of fresh air <laughs> to have a, uh, a culture of compliance. And I was just amazed at, at really coming into Baker Hughes and and the the knowledge level of what of what people understood about compliance, because that that didn't exist at Weatherford when I joined Weatherford. And, you know, I was sort of on this view that, well, you know, maybe all oil and gas companies are like this. They're all based in Texas. Who knows? Um, but really coming into into Baker Hughes and, and seeing that culture um, and that understanding of compliance and wanting to do the right thing and stopping things when it didn't feel like the right thing, um, that was amazing to me. And it really, really made my job, I feel like it made my job easier to, to come in with this vision of what trade compliance should look like and how we build trade compliance into day-to-day operations. Because People understood what needed to happen. They need. They understood they needed to do the right thing, and they just wanted an easier way to do it. And um, I was able to sort of put out that vision and 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 get that done. But uh, yeah, that you know, I I tell everybody I, to this day, and you know, right after I joined Baker Hughes at, at the time, I was saying it too. That culture of compliance that Jay and the team built as a result of. Um, the investigation that Baker Hughes went through, uh, the investigations that Baker Hughes went, went through, um, was it's just you know gold star, and it's what everybody emulates. I once had the opportunity to interview Jay uh, on a panel, and the other panelists didn't show, so I just got to ask him all the questions I wanted to ask him. And I've done a couple of projects with Jay over the years, but I, I said to him, Jay, my observation is that you hire very talented people you make it clear you have very high expectations of them, but uh, you allow them to, to exercise their own judgment. And uh, at the end of the day, they've essentially got a PhD in compliance. Would, would that be a fair assessment or was your experience something different? I, my finger's on my nose because it's spot on, Tom. I think, um, I think <laughs> that's exactly right. I, uh, you know, I, Jay gave me a lot of autonomy, but he had this amazing trust in me. And I felt that every time I talked to him, um, I still feel that way every time I talk to him, he's just, 
I mean, he, he was such an amazing mentor to me. Um, but understanding, you know, I was joining that class of J. Martin protégés, <laughs> I'll say, um, because I, I feel like in, in Houston and, and really, I think around the country, it's, it's like six degrees of separation to J. Martin. Everybody, there's some way that everybody knows Jay. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of being able to work under his presence, and it is a presence. Um, he taught me a lot about presence and uh, not gifts, but, you know, presence um, as in showing up and, um, you know, making sure you're available. Um, you know, working for Jay is, is you are on call all the time. Um, and I loved that. I loved knowing that he would, you know, he felt comfortable calling me regardless of what time of day it was. Um, but that's how I wanted, I wanted to be wanted that way and, and wanted to be needed that way. Um, and knew that he, you know, he had that trust in me to, to say, you know, if there was an issue at nine o'clock at night, we, we could get, we could work together to get it done. In 2020, during not maybe the height of the pandemic, but certainly the first year of it, you make the decision to go out uh, on your own. What led to that decision? And could you t- tell us a little bit about your consulting company and what you're doing now? You know, it's part crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I think um, Jay left Baker Hughes. Uh, one of the main reasons I was at Baker Hughes was because I loved working for Jay and Will Marsh, who was our general counsel at the time. Uh, and then Baker Hughes got uh, Regina Jones, who's the current general counsel and an amazing, amazing woman. Um, uh, just really bringing the, the legal team at Baker Hughes into the, the 21st century um, and really, you know, doing great things. But at the time, I, I felt like the trade team, I had rebuilt it a couple different times. And, you know, I think I had created my own exit strategy, I think, at, at Baker Hughes. I felt like the team could run on its own and they didn't really need me. And, I, I you know, frankly, I felt like I was... Um, you know, I was doing things that weren't as challenging to me anymore and um, started just thinking about, well, what's my next move? And uh, I really felt like my next move would be probably a chief compliance officer if I was going to go to a different company. So I, I started point because I, I worked, you know, very closely with the ethics and compliance side, the, the ABC side at Baker Hughes. Um, so I started putting out some feelers and I called some good friends and said, hey, I'm going to start looking. Um, let me know if you hear of any anything opening up. And um, almost all of the folks I called, at least three of them said, well, if you go out on your own, we'll hire you. And I was like, wow, I didn't think about that. And of course, you know, here we are in the middle of the pandemic. I had had a health issue the year before in 2019. So I sort of had a different mentality about where I was going anyway. Um, and I decided, you know what, maybe now's the time I'm working from home. I get to do sort of, you know, I can, I, I figured out this work from home thing. Um, and I've got a pretty soft landing with three clients already going out the door. So, um, so I decided to try it and I had talked to some folks saying, you know, if this works out, would you consider coming on board with me? And um, let me give it a go by myself for a couple months and see how it goes. And it went remarkably well. I am, I am so humbly grateful, uh, for the referrals that I've received from my network. And, you know, I think I started off 
the first podcast saying I like made a lot of great um, relationships at BDP. I think I've, I've been able to sort of cultivate my network through all the different jobs and, and career moves that I've had um, and the firms that I've worked for and, and just people I've met. And that's paying off tremendously now. Um, so if there's any sort of words of wisdom I could give to anybody, it's just continue to cultivate that network because that's really what, what's gotten me to where I am. So off I went, hung out my own shingle. Um, I'm giving operational advice for trade compliance in the areas of import compliance, export compliance, and sanctions. Got uh, a lot of clients and um, a strategic partnership with a freight forwarding firm. Back from my um, my BDP days, some people that came back into my life, um, Andy Piazza and and the team that he's building at uh, at a company called uh, TWL Terra Worldwide Logistics. So we just have some really great things going on. Oh, and I'd like to ask you to put on your prognostication hat and maybe look down the road, because it seems to me that trade compliance has will rather become even more important. And if I could circle it back to some of the areas you started your career in, uh, supply chain is, is on the minds of, of almost every business executive today. And you did a lot of work on that much earlier in your career. And I don't know if it's co- going around to come around, but it just strikes me that trade compliance is going to be even more important, not simply from the operational side, but from the compliance side. ESG has a huge supply chain and trade compliance component and I wanted to see what your thoughts might be on that going forward. Oh, <laughs> there goes my landline. Uh, sorry about that. So um, the it's it's been so interesting to see how trade compliance has changed throughout my career, um, and even in the last couple of years. So I started out my career as a customs lawyer. And um, really, there's a whole lot in the the export control and sanctions. And I'm going to tell you, I think my dogs are going to bark, so I apologize, but work from home, right? Um, uh, In the export control and sanctions space, that's what I learned when I moved to Houston and got into the oil and gas space. Um, That was always sort of what I considered the sexy part of of trade, because you had... um, that's where, you know, sort of the big fines and issues came up in the export controls and sanctions world. And then the Trump administration and the China tariffs hit. And all of a sudden, you know, customs, the customs world, all of a sudden in the United States, you know, had a whole lot more, um, whole lot more to look at and, you know, a lot more visibility. And, and people were saying, wait a minute, maybe we need some customs um, expertise now. So I, I got to get back to sort of my, my customs roots. Uh, now we have the forced labor issue and the supply chain issues that you just mentioned. So what we've seen, you know, sanctions themselves have evolved over the years. We've seen the the traditional, you know, full comprehensive embargoes on countries like Iran, Syria, North Korea, Cuba, and the Crimea region. Um, and then we have these really interesting targeted sanctions that that, you know, I've had the privilege or, or maybe not um, to deal with, uh, particularly in the energy space with Russia and Venezuela, and it's really complicated. And now we have the Do- Department of Commerce getting involved with, with this military rule, um, end use rule, and a new way of sort of applying sanctions. So the government is taking everything out of its toolkit. 
to deal with um, economic pressures on other countries. We're not going after the full embargoes anymore. We're doing these really intricate sectoral sanctions and targeted sanctions and um, ways of using export controls to, to deal with um, sanctions issues. And then, you know, that the tariffs now are becoming even even a, a strategic issue um, for for countries. So it's really um, where I think trade compliance used to be siloed. You used to have your customs lawyers and you used to have your export control and sanctions lawyers. It's not anymore. It all comes together. Um, back in my Weatherford days, Natalia had the vision to say it's all coming together. And, um, you know, that that continues today. And even I think it will always be that way. Every export turns into an import. You're always going to have the issues to deal with and uh, making sure that you're taking a look at trade compliance from that holistic view of, of customs, sanctions, and export controls is really, really important. Um, and then back to your comment about supply chain, companies have to know their supply chain. Uh, we, we saw the issues that happened during the pandemic and, and, and just you know the end of last year with all the the um, the delays and uh, you just you have to understand your providers. You have to make sure that they are partners, not just providers, and that you are all working together. And um, yeah, that's I think there's it's it's not going to get any easier. Um, but I think as long as you understand your business and you have made an effective trade compliance program, you can weather these these different issues that come up. So Ellen. What are your favorite adopted saying or sayings from the Baker Hughes days and perhaps the consulting days? You know, I was thinking about this one um, and I don't have I don't have a favorite saying from Jay because I think there's just uh, what I have is that that feeling of presence that that Jay taught me. And it, it is really um understanding that you need to control the environment and and jay just has that way about him and and that's what you know i've adopted from him is that is sort of that uh, i can't think of the right word but that, that presence and um really being a true leader um jay gave me that opportunity um gave me the autonomy and the trust to do it and i i i just i copy a lot of um just his mannerisms and, and the way he, he expresses himself uh, from a just, you know, sort of a visual perspective and, and just a feeling. And, and that's, that, that's what I've adopted from, from him. I think um, I will tell you, I, I'm going to say it again because I love this saying. I use that life is like underwear change is good saying throughout my career because I really do believe in change. Um, and with even in my consulting practice, um, nothing static. Uh, we started out just building trade compliance programs. Now we're building trade compliance programs. We're we're doing jurisdictional reviews and helping companies with jurisdictional issues, and we're doing managed services now where we can supplement a trade compliance program. So I have three employees, um, a partnership where I can you know uh, have additional resources. Um, available and uh, it's just fun to, to keep doing new things and, and learn new things and, and change and grow. Well, Ellen, this has been a great journey for me to listen to your story. I wanted to thank you again for sitting down to visit with me about uh, your journey to the trade director's chair and thereafter. 
So uh, thanks again. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Tom, thank you so much. It was such a privilege to be able to share my story with you and and your listeners. And um, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.